The Spotcast is brought to you by Lehigh Human Resources. If you like what you're hearing on the Spotcast, a Lehigh career could be right for you, and we're hiring. Current opportunities include administrative support, research development, admissions, advising, fundraising, and more. Learn about all of our open staff positions and apply today at go.lehigh.edu slash jobs. That's go.lehigh.edu slash jobs. Careers at Lehigh, where passion meets possibility. Welcome to Season 2 of The Spotcast. I'm Hilary Kwiatek, your host and Lehigh University's Employee Communications Specialist. The Spotcast is Lehigh University Human Resources' podcast designed to celebrate and share the stories of our staff. This season, we're focusing in particular on staff stories of the coronavirus pandemic. We'll still be learning about our colleagues' careers and life journeys, but we wanted to hear from staff members whose work was significantly impacted by the events of the last year and find out how they were able to overcome obstacles to achieving their goals. We think you'll find these stories inspiring and motivating. We're excited to be back on campus at the digital audio studio in Building C on Mountaintop. So let's see who we spotted today. Our guest today is William Crow, director of the Lehigh University Art Galleries and professor of practice in the Department of Art, Architecture, and Design here at Lehigh. Welcome, William. Oh, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, we're really excited to have you. You're one of our newer, I would say, employees. I think so. In uh, August, it'll be three years oh, that I'm okay. here at Lehigh. Mm-hmm. The pandemic has changed <laughs> the way we all perceive of time. So three it's years, true. that's that's. You know, you've almost made it to five at yeah. three. <laughs> so um, you are, uh, as I said, the director of the art galleries and also a professor of practice in, in the art department. Um, is that what you always saw yourself doing when you were younger? Is this Was this a path from the very beginning or how did you wind uh, up kind of in uh, this field? No. <laughs> Good, because otherwise I, right. this would be a boring question. Well, you know, I, I grew up in a really small town in southwestern Virginia near Roanoke in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So if you're familiar with that area, it's it's beautiful landscape. Not a lot there in terms of museums or really art or galleries or things like that. So to be honest, I was a latecomer to art I I always enjoyed making things as a child. I made models and I made drawings and sketchbooks and I, you know, constructed things in my parents' front yard that I'm sure completely annoyed them and our neighbors. Um, but I really didn't understand that that could be art until much later. I had a fantastic teacher in high school um, who was from New York City originally and had come to settle in our town in Virginia. And it really opened my eyes to this whole new world. Um, And so eventually studied it in college um, and then later moved up to New York City to pursue art. So you were studying studio art. You were actually working towards being an artist yourself. A bit. I mean, I I eventually... um, came to embrace art. I was a little bit in art denial for a while, <laughs> as, as some people are. I, you know, I, I came from a background and a family where 
stability and security was very important. And so no one in my family is in art or the arts. Um, it's not their interest. They didn't really suggest that as a career path. <laughs> and so, um, you know, when I started college, I, you know, a liberal arts education, I, I tried on a lot of different things. I quickly knew that uh, calculus and uh, statistics and some other fields were not going to be my field. Um, so I ended up majoring, double majoring in studio art and romance languages because that was something I also became really interested in. That, and that was your fallback, obviously, romance languages. <laughs> if the whole art thing didn't work out, you could I, fall I, back on. I guess so. You know, it kind of honestly, it all comes back to great teachers. The other great teacher I had in high school was a, a woman who was Cuban. Um, she was originally um, from Cuba and, and then went to Miami and then found herself in Virginia. And boy, even though it was a very rural high school, uh, we had special parking actually for farm equipment at our high school. Um, but no matter what your background or your interest, pretty much everyone in my high school learned Spanish because of this really dynamic Spanish teacher. Oh, uh, wow, yeah, cool. so it influenced my path. <laughs> Where did you go to college? Just I, I went to Wake Forest in okay. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, so then you moved to New York. I did. I did. My senior year of college, um, I got to know an artist who was visiting from New York, and I did a, a year-long project with her down in North Carolina. And close to graduation, she said, you know, I'd be really interested in having you as an assistant in New York. And there's also this job opening for a public art group called Creative Time in New York City. And I think they could really use your help. So, you know, I'd, I'd been to New York once before on a, an overnight bus trip in high school. Like we sold whew, hundreds of dollars worth of Krispy Kreme donuts to pay for this trip to New York. And, um, but otherwise, I really had not thought so much about moving to New York. Um, but I moved up to New York. I slept on a couch of a distant cousin who I had never met before. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually in um, a set of bunk beds. Um, and the the child who was sleeping on the lower bunk, who I think was in fourth grade at the time, was also named William Crow, this distant cousin. I, I don't know what they thought of me like showing up on their doorstep like this. Um, but that's kind of where it took off. I worked for this public art group managing an exhibition that they did every year at the time in the Brooklyn Bridge Anchorage, which is this cavernous space that that literally holds the cables of the Brooklyn Bridge down to the ground in the Brooklyn side. And I worked with a bunch of contemporary artists, a sculptor who had made a skateboard half-pipe ramp as her sculpture, and I worked with these Brooklyn teens to kind of activate the ramp by having them skate on it. I worked with a um, New York State Penitentiary a, a facility for um, correctional facility for women who were doing a theatrical production um, as part of this art exhibition as well. So I managed that group. So it was quite an eye opener from uh, coming from a small town in Virginia. <laughs> it must have been wow, but how exciting! Yeah, it, it was. I. I learned so much, and and actually, my first boss in that job was Anne Pasternak, who was the executive director of Creative Time, and who is now the director of the Brooklyn Museum. And she's, you know, one of the great arts leaders 
in the United States, frankly. She's really spectacular. What a great opportunity. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. So how did you um, – you came to us from the Metropolitan Museum of Art, right? I did. So I'm sure there's a, a lot – in between. But did you go <laughs> on is. for more education then or did you just keep practice? Were you in practice? And I did. It was kind of a winding road. And to be honest, I think a lot of people who eventually find themselves in museums take a pretty winding path in their careers, which I think is a real strength of museums because you end up with people who have a really wide range of experiences and ideas and education. But um, gosh, I, I had a stint as a high school teacher for a couple of years at a, a boys' private school just outside New York City that was part of a Benedictine monastery. Uh, so I, I lived there at the monastery for a couple of years and learned a lot about teaching and was fortunate to have enough space that I kept making my art and my paintings. So I did that. Um, then moved back into New York City and um, made paintings and decided to go to graduate school for an MFA in painting. So I did that at uh, the City University of New York, Hunter College. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and had great ambitions to become a professional artist. And I, I did have some success at that. I had some shows and some solo exhibitions. Um, but I still had this real love of teaching. And it actually was my next-door neighbor in my apartment building downtown who said, have you ever thought about teaching in an art museum setting? And frankly, I, I said, I, I didn't know that was even a career path. Um, so she really recommended that I send in my resume and my materials to a lot of different museums, including the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, I, I did some side gigs and public programs at the Morgan Library for a while, um, taught in some other museums. I, I taught a, an art therapy class on the weekends at uh, GMHC, which is an HIV-AIDS organization in the city. Um, but about a year later... <laughs> I had forgotten I'd even sent in my materials to the Met, but I got a phone call out of the blue and they said, we have this grant to hire more people to teach our family programs and our access programs, programs for visitors with disabilities. Uh, Would you be interested? And so I said, sure, I'd love to come talk about it. Uh, And that was back in 1998. And really from there, I I eventually took a full-time position at the Met um, grew through several other positions, um, went back to school, <laughs> uh, ended up getting another master's degree in museum leadership from mm-hmm. Bank Street College on the west side, um, and then back to school again for a PhD in cognitive science at Columbia um, while, while working at the Met, and very grateful that the Met supported me through all of that. Um, and then that, that kind of eventually led me to Lehigh. Uh, three years ago, <laughs> so I don't, I'm giving you a very circuitous path here, but uh, but that's basically my story in a nutshell. But that's I love that because um, I think that what we want to talk about, especially on this podcast, because we are talking to employees, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is you know how you find how you find your career path, how you, how it winds up, and it's you know it's a combination of uh, serendipity, coincidence, yeah. but also finding the things that. Um, you know, give your give your work meaning and, and push you forward. And obviously yeah. the education piece of it never went away and, and kind of yeah. continued. So now um, you came to us, I mean, moving from New York after being in New York for so many years, mm-hmm. um, 
why did you decide, yeah, this is the right thing for me to do? Right. Well, you know, gosh, the time, it goes by. <laughs> so I, even though I started at the Metropolitan in 1998, 99, um, you know, I, I took on other positions of broader responsibility at the Met, and, and eventually I became the, um, the titles are a little unusual at the Met. I, my title was Educator in Charge of Teaching and Learning. So I oversaw all of the educational work that the museum did across its then three locations, the main building, the cloisters uptown, and uh, the Met Breuer, which is no longer in existence. Oh, really? Uh, right. It, uh, in the former uh, Whitney Museum of American Art building on 75th and Madison, which now the Frick Collection has taken over. Um, but, you know, I I really had grown in a way that was the highest level position I was going to have at the Met. And and while honestly, anyone could spend multiple lifetimes working at a place like the Met or visiting a place like the Met with the depth of its collections, you know, I, I think I had turned 46 at that time. And I said, you know, I've, I've got, what, another 20, 25 years at least of work before I retire, and I'd really like to try something different. And I had been teaching as an adjunct faculty member for years down at NYU in their master's program in museum studies, and then also a master's program at Johns Hopkins. That was a blended online in-person program. And so I, I knew that I could see myself in an academic setting. I still wanted to work in a museum, so I didn't want to let go of either one of those things. And I saw, actually, my, my husband, Philip, who's a professor at NYU, saw this job opening at Lehigh. And when I read it, I said, this is it. This is my next job. Because th there are many director positions of academic campus-based museums, but there are relatively few of them that are also faculty appointments. And I thought, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And when I came to visit during the interview, too, I, I'm sure everyone who met me thought <laughs> I was just like this sponge absorbing because I was just amazed at the collection that Lehigh has, you know, over 17,000 works of art from many different time periods and cultures. And then, of course, the team at the galleries, they're really a world-class team of people. Um, you know, sometimes you you inherit a team and... You know, they've been working really hard, especially for someone who had been here as long as my predecessor, Ricardo Vieira, had been here. And sometimes they can be really exhausted. You know, it's understandable. And this team is not exhausted. They rolled up their sleeves from day one and they said, we have a million opportunities here. And so I have tried to do as much listening as I can um, to really tap their ideas and their energies and they're they're fantastic. That's great. Mm -hmm. So you have this situation where your husband is a professor in New mm -hmm. York and you're a professor here. Yeah. So you just have to like make that work. We're not that far from New York though. I mean, that's one of the great yeah. things about uh, where we are located. Well, you know, Philip, my husband, he always jokes that he's like, well, how is it that you took a new job and now I'm the one commuting all of the time? <laughs> 
because we we keep an apartment um, that we we bought years ago on the east side on 88th and Third. Um, so it's a little landing pad that we keep in New York, um, and then we live in Bucks County, so about 45 minutes south of here. So we, Philip always says he really lives on the Transbridge bus, <laughs> which he has not, still not come to terms with really. But um, and, and you know the pandemic hit and everything changed for a while, so we're still honestly figuring out our our balance of where we are and where we really live. That, but it's a good a good combination, I think. Um, so, what do you see as the role of an art gallery or galleries at a university? I think that um, the, the time when you tend to hear about them most in the news is when a university says they're going to sell their whole collection <laughs> to put into the endowment uh, or because they yeah. have a shortfall. So that's, yeah. you know, it's almost like the conversation starts at, well, what's the point of having this thing? Yeah. Um, so what is the role of an yeah. art gallery in a university? That's a great question. And honestly, hopefully it is not a question that surfaces just in times of crisis. <laughs> but really, no matter what one's job is, like you, we should always be asking ourselves, like, well, why are we doing this? Or, or what's the point? Or for what purpose? So I, I believe that great works of art really have the transformative power to change lives. I think whether you are, um, you know, a self-identified art person or artist or art enthusiast, or whether you don't really see art as something for you, I think art has the potential to help us understand different people's perspectives and ideas to really put ourselves in the shoes of someone else, you know, whether it's a painter who made a work of art from five years ago or whether it's someone from the ancient world who made a piece of ancient Chinese ceramics that's from a burial site. So works of art have this potential to be windows into possibility, how people have thought about ideas, how people have solved problems in different ways, how they have responded to issues in their communities. Um, and so there are just many different lenses that we can use to look at works of art, to respond to works of art, to talk about works of art. So on an academic um, campus, at a university campus, of course, you know, knowledge and learning takes center stage often. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> I, we hope, at least uh, weekdays or maybe, maybe seven days a week. Um, and so for me, I think not only are works of art opportunities for us to research and learn and teach and get pleasure from things. But the more we engage with them, the more that we investigate these works of art, we're actually contributing to the knowledge that is created about those things. So to me, that's terrifically exciting on a university campus, particularly a national research university that prioritizes interdisciplinary work and interdisciplinary research and a core liberal arts education because when I'm talking with a sophomore student who is a mechanical engineer and we're talking about an outdoor sculpture that Lehigh owns and I'm I'm thinking about it from an aesthetic point of view of geometry and materials and how it connects to art history that mechanical engineering student might be thinking about it in terms of how does this artist even 
put together these materials so that they stay together and last over time and, um, you know, have a, a surface that is able to withstand the elements, you know, there's incredible learning potential there. Um, and so I, I just think that the art galleries can be a nexus point for those conversations. And also it can be a place where the local community, the public, can be intermingled with what's happening on campus. And I, I see that, frankly, as another kind of expertise. Like, there are people who live here right in our neighborhood who speak different languages, who work in different jobs, who may have their own art experiences. And, you know, I, I was guilty of this in college, too, where it, it can be very easy for us all to become hermetically sealed on campus. But I just think there's great opportunity when you can intermingle or have a, a gateway experience with the community and art museums can be places where that happens. And um, I mean, that seems to be a direction that you've, you started to head at certainly before the pandemic um, mm-hmm. and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, the exhibition that you all were planning for the fall was the doing democracy mm-hmm. exhibit. Right. Um, tell us a little bit about how you dealt with the fact that you were running a space that couldn't be open, yeah. um, and at the same time, you know, trying to expand your community outreach and yeah. and what you did with that exhibit. Yeah, I mean, all museum people, and I mean, really, all of us, no matter what our jobs were, we were really confronted with this issue of, well, what do we do? Where do we go? How do we work? You know, as museum professionals, we're pretty invested in the experience of original objects in front of us and objects in spaces. So when this pandemic hit and we all had to deal with working remotely and building our own digital skills of meetings, but also connecting with one another, really my team... um, Without a pause, they immediately shifted to thinking about, okay, what does this mean for our work? So, for example, our um, curator of education, Stacey Brennan, really within a week, our in-person programs that we had planned shifted to online programs. Our uh, curatorial team and exhibitions team immediately shifted to thinking about, well, What do we move from the back burner to the front burner? And that meant getting all of our images and information online on our website, Um, you know, making sure that there were um, virtual ways to experience the physical exhibition. Uh, Collectively as a team, we were really fortunate that our friends at the Southside Arts Arts District, uh, Missy Hartney, reached out to us and said, you know, there's this opportunity to do an outdoor exhibition. What do you think of that? And so we ended up putting reproductions of 22 of the photographs on these four foot by eight foot placards along the South Bethlehem Greenway, paired with um, these great videos that Lehigh students created about the photographs. That's a whole other way of engagement that we had never thought of, frankly. And and so actually we're doing that again. Uh, Even though we are opening our physical galleries this fall, we'll be having another outdoor exhibition that parallels our uh, Thinking Through Drawing exhibition that opens at the end of August. So these are all things that really um, 
continue to cause us to rethink, like, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And sometimes, you know, the the in-person format isn't the best format. Um, Over the past year, with help from alumni relations and development and other departments, we had some online programs where we had alumni, but also just friends or people curious about Lehigh join us from California, from South America. We had um, someone join us from the Aleutian Islands off the coast of Alaska, joining us for our programs, and that that never would have happened in person. So um, I'd like to think our team, and I'd like to think all of us, should really be rethinking, what do we do? How do we do it? Does it make sense how we're doing it, rather than just kind of reverting back to what was before the pandemic? I think that that's the lesson that I'm hearing from everyone I'm interviewing is that, yeah. um, you know, we're changed. We're, we are permanently changed. Um, yeah. And, you know, how do you pick the things that um, are, were for the better mm-hmm. and maybe leave behind some of the things that, you know, you would rather not do? Yeah. Yeah. The conversations are, are – everyone's going to have to listen to all of the conversations because they all connect in this way. Yeah, that's um, true. What is your favorite part of your job? I mean, oh gosh. Um, Well, you know, I do think, as you were mentioning earlier, you know, teaching, and you know, I really see myself as an educator um, at heart, and you know, that can take many different forms. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be standing in front of a classroom, although I I do that with the classes that I teach. But, you know, I I think what excites me the most is how can we think of art and art museums as a vehicle for making positive change in the world? And that can happen in many different ways. You know, it can happen through these outdoor exhibitions or online programs that we've done, or it could happen through kind of more traditional in-person workshops or you know, maybe it's something completely different that we haven't explored yet. Um, And so I'd like to think that, you know, museums can be instruments of change. Um, And they certainly, I think, are, are ways that we can think about a whole host of topics, not just art, but, you know, topics that are really pressing in our lives right now, whether that's issues of wellness and what that means, or issues of race and identity, or issues of privilege, or, um, you know, issues of politics, certainly. Um, so I guess I would say to, to all of the, the listeners out there is that, you know, this is your museum. You know, our, our goal is to make this great art collection and this museum one that everyone on and off campus sees as their museum. And so I would encourage everyone to, to get involved, you know, to come visit us, to, you know, reach out to me, reach out to my team if you have ideas. Um, and, and there's many ways to be involved, you know, come to an opening reception, come to a program, Um, We also have a new initiative that just launches this month where you can become a member of the art galleries, which is completely free if you're a Lehigh student or faculty member or staff member. Um, If you're not part of the Lehigh community, though, you can become a member for as little as $20 a year. 
Um, and, you know, th- this will be behind the scenes events, special guest speakers, receptions. And so it's a way for people who want a deeper engagement to become more involved and also to help us identify who are the people who might want to become more deeply engaged with the art galleries. So we're really excited about that. And that's, that's all on luag.org. And that's exciting to have something to look forward to coming out of, um, you know, this period where you've been uh, closed. And yeah. um, the main Lehigh Art Galleries are in Zollner, but mm-hmm. you do exhibitions in other areas of the university as well, right? We do. We're everywhere. <laughs> so we And we do that by design. So we have seven different gallery spaces on Lehigh's three campuses and an outdoor sculpture collection of 56 sculptures. So our, our philosophy really is to meet people where they are. So whether you are passing through McGinnis Hall, where we have an exhibition space, or Iacocca Hall, where Siegel Gallery is located, or you're studying or working in Fairchild Martindale Library, these are all spaces where we have dedicated space for art and exhibitions, and we rotate them on a semester or yearly basis. Um, you know, we, we want art to be front of mind for everyone on campus. And actually one initiative that um, we were just chatting a little bit earlier that our friend Elena Key and our colleagues in LTS have helped us with is we've just launched a, a digital guide to the outdoor sculpture collection. So now when you go on Lehigh's interactive campus map, which is a, a Google powered map, um, you can click art on campus and it will show you um, I believe now we have 30 sculptures on the campus map, but our aim is to get all 56 on that map. And you can click on them, and many of them take you to videos created by Lehigh students about the sculptures. And it's it's fascinating. I mean, I'm I'm learning about these works of art too. I'm um, you know, although I've almost been here three years. Um, I wasn't as familiar with some of the artists represented in this collection. And so it's a real eye-opener. I, I hope everyone enjoys it and gives us feedback about it. That's exciting. And and I love the, um, the use of um, mapping new technologies, always mm-hmm. kind of thinking ahead of, of what's next. Yeah. Um, what do you think is next for, um, for the galleries? Well, we're really excited for this fall because um, we have a fantastic exhibition and related programs uh, that we're putting a lot of energy into called Thinking Through Drawing. And it focuses on drawings from Lehigh's collection and also how artists and architects and designers use drawing as a way to externalize their thinking. You know, I think it, um, who was it? I guess Joan Didion, the author, said, you know, sometimes I don't know what I think until I write it down. And in some ways, drawing is like that. Like, it's a way to make the invisible visible. Um, And so we're really excited for this show. And our, our goal is to get everyone in the Lehigh Valley drawing. So we're giving away drawing materials. We're having free drop-in drawing workshops, indoors and outdoors. We have um, a whole host of events that are going to be unfolding over the fall. Um, you know, one of the, the superstars that we're going to be highlighting is a an incredible sketchbook by the American artist Maurice Prendergast, who was part of the um, early American modernist group called The Eight. And it was given to us at Lehigh by an alumnus named uh, J. Douglas Breen. 
And I, I mean, it's just this, the most incredible sketchbook because you see how the artist is thinking and developing ideas. Um, we're also borrowing some fantastic drawings by Andy Warhol from a Lehigh alumnus, uh, Sam Shikiar, who's on our advisory council. Um, and he is generously loaning us these works of art. We're also borrowing some works of art um, uh, by the artist Keith Herring. Uh, from his sister Kay Herring, oh, yes. who lives down the road in uh, Reading, Kutztown area. As, as you know, Keith Herring was from Kutztown. And Kay, his sister, is generously going to be coming to campus and doing some programs with us to talk about her brother's art and the role of drawing in her brother's art. So it's just going to be a fantastic fall season. And we we really think there's something for everyone, um, no matter what your comfort level is, whether it's indoors or out, or a group setting or an individual experience. Uh, we're planning a wide array of programs. I'm down to my last question. Oh, yeah. Where are we in time? Oh, as good. long, as, no, long as it's not math. It's not math, I promise. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, although, having worked in an art gallery, Math is important when you're trying to hang paintings. Oh, oh my <laughs> I was, goodness. I was never I, good at that. <laughs> uh, I rely on Halil Alaik, our wonderful uh, preparator and collection <laughs> specialist, and Jeffrey Ludwig Dykus. They, they can do that in their sleep. Uh, I, not so much for me. <laughs> no, my, my last question to you is, um, what do you like to do in your free time? Let, tell oh. us a little bit more about... Um, oh, gosh. Um, well, um, I'm an amateur gardener. Uh, I see you have are a fantastic gardener, so I'm trying to grow some tomatoes uh, without uh, some uh, bunnies and groundhogs that live next to us getting to them first. Uh, we, we live next to a state park down in Bucks County, which is lovely, but boy, um, everyone's after these tomatoes. Um, you know, I'm also a painter, myself at heart. You know, I, I love making things. I love making paintings. So I've been trying uh, to spend a little bit of time reconnecting with my own creative process. And and frankly, that was one reason, too, why this position was so appealing to me at Lehigh is I thought, you know, not only can I immerse myself in teaching and being in an academic community, but I can surround myself with people that are making and doing and creating. And And I, I do think Lehigh is really special in that regard because it just, it just emanates this idea of creating and making. And I don't, I don't know if it's something that's been in the water in the Lehigh Valley for generations or you know, with Bethlehem Steel or with Asa Packer himself, but um, but you know, boy, what what an opportunity to be the director of an art museum in a place that values making so much, uh, like Lehigh does. Um, so I am I'm making some watercolors. I'm working in my garden. Um, you know, I I also I like to go on really long walks and hikes with our dog, uh, which has been really fun. We're trying to do every section of the canal walkway, the towpath um, in Bucks County. So we're kind of slowly chipping away at that. And that's been really fun. That's great. <laughs> it sounds like a, an idyllic lifestyle. <laughs> Countryside it, in Bucks County, yeah, walking the dog on the towpath. It, it is, I have to say. You know, um, I, I'm really lucky, I have to say. It's... Um, it's a great place to be. I'm really excited about what we have ahead of us. Um, and, you know, even though it's been a rough 
year. I'm I'm really thankful for this year, actually. I think maybe others are mentioning this to you too, but I think it's been a real chance for all of us to think about what matters to us, how do we want to spend our time, who do we want to spend our time with or not. Um, so I, I hope that all of us can hold on to that after the pandemic. Well, William Crow, thank you so much for your time. It was great uh, talking to you. That was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and and come to the art galleries. Hope everyone at Lehigh will come join us uh, for our, our exhibitions and programs this fall. The Spotcast is a production of Lehigh University Human Resources. The podcast is recorded in Lehigh's audio recording studio in Mountaintop Building C. Special thanks to Jarrett Brown of Library and Technology Services for technical assistance. I'm Hilary Kwiatek. Join us next time to see who we spot.